recruiting ish web three world-class podcast let's get it let's go the topics of discussion you cannot get from another opportunities in web three we got you covered meta intro been dope gotta thank you for the love and support that you're giving keep it coming we going up in jazz fees interviews with the crews making moves let's see it's a brand new world of nfts join in recruiting ish podcast yes please join in recruiting ish podcast yes please Meta Intro does not give financial advice. Information provided by Meta Intro is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. Always do your own research on the companies that you apply to and the opportunities that you invest in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Recruiting Niche Podcast. Before we get into the episode, here's a word from our sponsors. Hey there, fellow podcast listeners. I'm Kevin Logan Jr., host of the Immutable Mindset Podcast. If you're fascinated by Web3, blockchain, and disruptive technology, then you won't want to miss a show. Join me and co-host Adam Posner as we introduce you to an incredible lineup of successful entrepreneurs, builders, and industry veterans who share their insider knowledge, unique perspectives, and personal stories that will leave you inspired and craving more. Like Mike Isogawa, the CEO of Webacy, who shares her journey from being a Cirque du Soleil performer to a cybersecurity pioneer. Or Dave Schwed, COO of Halborn, who discusses the future of digital asset security and how the future of assets will be tokenized. We also break down complex topics into digestible bits, perfect for both experts and newcomers to the world of Web3. So if you're ready to stay ahead of the curve, subscribe to the Immutable Mindset Podcast now, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Recruiting Niche Podcast. I'm Alex, your crypto recruiter. I'm here with Lacey from the intro team. Say what's up, Lacey. What's up? Good morning. Good afternoon. GA. We are GM. <laughs> that might GM is is known. GA is not known, but maybe we can start that. <laughs> we are here on Tuesday, May 9th, coming back to you with all things hiring and web three projects. Um, we've got an awesome special guest today, Haseeb Awan, who is the founder and CEO of Afani. Afani is a bespoke cybersecurity focused secure phone service protecting high-risk individuals against mobile hacks. They provide the best-in-class protection and back it with $5 million in insurance coverage. Haseeb, how are you? Thanks for joining. Tell us a little bit about you, your background, and your project. Uh, thanks, Alex. Alex, so we do, uh, you've said it all. Uh, we just provide cell phone service to important people. Like, think about us, Verizon or AT&T, but for important people. Um, you know, that's pretty much what we do. Uh, like more like a bulletproof form of them. Uh, so that's what we do. In the past, I co-founded one of the largest Bitcoin ATM companies back in 2013. That's like almost 10 years from now uh, f- uh, before we did it. And uh, we grew it to 10,000 locations. And uh, not just me, but obviously my founders. <laughs> and now we uh, we got acquired last year. So I've been involved in crypto for almost 10 years now. What was it gotcha. like building uh, an ATM machine? That's so cool. Uh, I know everyone said that's the most boring business in crypto. Like you talk about like uh, ATM machine, you talk about cash, and you talk about uh, crypto. Like that was some such a, a different uh, experience. But I think one of the best businesses in the space. So it seems like you're on kind of the hardware kick, right? Like like you mentioned, ATMs are something that people might have shied away from because it is like a hardware product. A lot goes into that, a lot of logistics, like you said, on, on cash management, kind of building the ATMs, and then now um, within the phone service, kind of telecom industry, I know that's that's got to be tough. What brought you to that side of, you know, kind of startups versus um, kind of software as a service or some of the other things going on in space? 
So first of all, hardware have a name hard in it. It's really hard. It's not like easy to uh, take care of of uh, hardware. And the challenge with the hardware is that uh, it's very hard to fix it, right? To be honest, like something gets break broke uh, without and you have to really go on on site and fix it. So if I know what I knew, uh, what I know now, I would never go into that business, right? It's a very tough business. The term called ignorance and bliss came into place where we jumped into something that without knowing, you know, how stupid this business is. So our goal was pretty much to help people buy Bitcoin within 60 seconds. That was pretty much mission. Those were times where people were sending envelopes across the world to exchanges that they don't have no idea about. So people just go to, uh, you know, stuff like $10,000 in a cash of envelope and just ship it to Russia or China or random countries in order to get Bitcoins. And we figured out that's not the way people and with the hardware, it builds in trust. People always trust a physical branch, you know, like cell phones are there, but still, you know, people still don't trust them. Hardware, software, they trust hardware. So our goal was to find a place for people where they can buy and sell Bitcoin within 60 seconds. Uh, simple. That's pretty much the goal was. And what other things could be just having a chaos. And remember, it's a 10 years ago, right? Like things have changed a lot now. So there was no options then back then. Where were the ATMs? Were they in like convenience stores and grocery stores? Uh, this actually, uh, they were all over the place. So obviously started off with, uh, there were Bitcoin centers in every, every city at that time, like Bitcoin Decentral, Bitcoin, uh, you know, Hub or Bitcoin, like an embassy. So people have all those closes for Bitcoin. And uh, so they start off with them and obviously they went into convenience stores, uh, airports, uh, you know, like shopping malls all over the place, you know, maybe check cashing places. Interesting. How, how I'm just uh, curious, how hard was it to affect, to find adoption with that? Like was, did you see people get excited about it like overnight or did you have a lot of skeptics in the beginning? Uh, so skepticism came from outside the industry, legacy industry. Like, you know, I remember we went to regular ATM machines operator and we said, do you want to buy this machine? And they said, like, what the hell is this? Like, who will buy Bitcoin? And secondly, we <laughs> couldn't find a service for people to service those machines because uh, armored cars will not pick up the cash. And you'll be surprised that even today, a lot of armored cars do not pick up the cash. You have to physically go in in your car and pick up cash, which is dangerous. So uh, that was issue. From a customer where we had no issue because people will try with like $10. You can literally put $10 and it will give you cash within five, five, 10 minutes, uh, which was obviously blockchain and everything like, you know, those things because you cannot move faster. But at the same time, uh, people will receive cash and they'll say it's legitimate, right? Like you put money in, you get cash out. So it was something that where people were uh, trying it out. And obviously over the time, uh, it just grew. So it was a better, still a better experience than using exchange if you're using a small, a smaller transaction, especially people who don't know. Like people didn't know how to set up a wallet. People don't know how to trust an exchange. Here they can go up to a machine, $10, and they can get a Bitcoin. I remember when I first heard of a Bitcoin ATM or an ATM that you could exchange for Bitcoin, and I never saw one. And then the first time I saw one, I was like, oh my gosh, they're real, right? You see the signs, it says, you know, Bitcoin exchange here. And then even now, like every Kroger that I go into, it's my favorite gas station. Not a plug, just love that gas or love that 
grocery store. Um, they've got like the coin to cash or coin to Bitcoin um, like conversion. So it's it's cool to see something that, like you mentioned, started off as you know who would want to do that, who's going to use that, and now it's it's kind of commonplace and an on ramp that a lot of people would use. Um, have you seen again, even though you've you've exited the business, have you seen industry like continue to grow, continue to move into new aspects, or um, was it kind of just stuck at that same you know exchange um, on Alpha for fiat? There have been interesting use cases like um, uh, when we were building Bitcoin ATM, our goal was to eliminate the banks completely. Like you're wearing a uh, you know circle cap, or if you're talking about circle company or something, but hypothetically, coming like circle Coinbase, uh, man, man, Gox is gone now, but you know like uh, you can crack in. Uh, like you know, why do you want to go to a bank and transfer money to uh, to Bitcoin uh, to them? Our goal was, can you go up to this machine and just put your Coinbase account and put thousand dollars in, and now it's deposited into your Coinbase account. You want to withdraw money, you can do it because during those times, your bank account will get closed if you receive money from Coinbase or something. So it doesn't happen nowadays as often, but at that time, people will get direct. So our goal was there should be a way. And then um, the entire goal was to build hardware as an infrastructure where people can build apps for the people who don't, who just don't want to be banked or they still want to like, you know, I don't want to deal with the bank anymore. So hypothetically, you can, uh, they are like, you know, you, you can you can check out a cash, uh, uh, you know, cash out a check. So you go to ATM, you put like a $100 check, check and someone will bid on that. I'll pay you. $98 for that and someone may bid $99 someone bid $98 so overall our goal was to build applications for people who were unbanked because that's what Bitcoin was Bitcoin was supposed to people can take control of their assets and use them uh, you know use the machine whenever they need it otherwise they are on they are they own everything you want to transfer money just walk up to a machine you put this is the country I want to transfer money to it automatically gives you an option and you transfer the money. That is pretty much the premise of how uh, an ATM should work. Uh, unfortunately, there were a lot of regulation issues because you go into uh, low, payday loan industry have their own regulations. Money transfer have their own regulations. Like MSP have their own library. And, and the challenge that we are suffering even today is there's no clarity on who the regulator is. You want to get compliant, but like you know, no one knows you know who do we have to follow and frankly i never wanted to end up in jail i'm sure no one wanted to end up in jail and that was the biggest dilemma with the industry where no one wants to innovate because no one wants to break the line or cross the line how long ago did you sell oh so we got acquired last year uh we got acquired we are supposed the company is supposed to go public uh, public this year but yeah we got acquired so i left but i left the business like a couple of years before that too and was that to start this new venture? Uh, no, it was frankly, it was more about, uh, um, I would say, stressful. Stress. It's a very stressful business, you know. Uh, you're dealing with millions and millions of dollars. And then you don't know if you'll end up in jail and something. And I'll be, I, I was kind of scared to get going to get into jail uh, because of my background. Like I, they said they will put you in a, because of your name and everything, they'll put you in a jail, uh, put a charge against you, and you'll, you'll spend your entire life defending that charge. Wow. Was that coming from like a, a legal team or where were you getting kind of the feedback that there was possibly some like uncertainty around, like you mentioned, there just was. regulation and kind of what was okay versus yeah. not. 
Uh, well, first of all, like uh, Charlie Sherem got arrested during that time. If you remember that time, and you know, like you don't know what charges are getting there. And secondly, time when Montgox was, uh, Montgox was like going down. You know, we had Kraken, like not Kraken, sorry. We had like Bitfinex had a scandal. Like every day there was a, a scandal going on. You know, some mega, mega, mega scandals. And the challenge with that was that I couldn't get clarity from anyone. Like we were talking to. Uh, I remember I went to the bit uh, bit license hearing in in New York. And I asked the same question a couple of times that, is it legal to Bitcoin? They said, operate a Bitcoin ATM. They said, we don't know. I said, would you come after arrest us? They said, we don't know. And we literally had to send a letter to every state and asking them for, like, you know, what's the, like, tell us what to do. You want to start a business? Guide us on how to start a business. And we were getting no clarity at all. So I think it was better for personal reasons and better for my mental health. And uh, that we had to, I had to step down. Um, and then, you know, like it was, um, um, again, crypto looks very, you know, like sexy and look crypto, it looks very like, you know, okay, someone made a thousand dollars, thousand X returns, but overall, it's very stressful to work in crypto and be uh, attached to do a compliant way. Like Coinbase, the most legitimate company I could say in, in, in crypto is now <laughs> asking SEC, what is a, what is, how to do legal? Like this has been like, 15 years, like such a simple question. What is legal? What is illegal? I, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like right now working for a company like Coinbase or even like over the past few months of Binance and Kraken, FTX um, would be really stressful. Also not knowing the certainty, certainty of the security of your job. Yeah, well, business going down is one thing, right? That's a risk that you take, right? Like people have it, but I'll end up in like ending up like defending, uh, you know, uh, you know, charges against that, that you have no control over. You know, like we may, you may have broken a law that you don't know. So I think it was just easy mm-hmm. for us to do that. And now you're also carrying cash on top of it. So you're doing all the things, but you're also mm-hmm. carrying cash from random people. You know, cash itself is such a taboo in the industry. No one opened the bank account or personal account for getting shit down. You know, it was such a such a difficult task to do. And you will be, and there's a lot of things that were happening beyond the industry. And I thought that someone someone will basically come after you because you're carrying bag of cash around. Like, I never carried around, but we know that people were carrying around cash. Yeah, cash. I can see how that's, from a mental health perspective, stressful. Um, I think we can all agree working in crypto, just in general, comes with its stress, with kind of the ups and downs, but especially like in your position as a founder, running a company, um, having a team, like you mentioned, dealing with regulation, dealing with cash, like there's a, a ton of moving pieces there that um, I myself even thinking about that. I'm like, I'm a little stressed right now. So I, I, it sounds like you might have made a, a good decision. Um, so I mean, from like the transition out of crypto still, though, into um, like telecom, I don't know much about it, but it seems like that might have some regulations and like some hurdles in terms of like how you build, what cell towers you use. There's probably customer data, like Walk us through maybe a little bit about like what's stressful in, in this current project. Well, obviously, whenever you're in a cybersecurity company, your job is to do one thing, that's to protect people. And like, you know, you're protecting them 24 by 7, 365. The challenge is you only have to fail one time for everything to go down. You know, like you have one job and the job is to protect people. Now, it looks pretty simple. One job, protect people. But it comes with a lot of attacks and now with the AI coming in, like, you know, there's a chance one day we may fail. You know, that's the obvious thing. And so you're just waiting for, okay, you know, one will be the day that someone will be able to breach to our defenses. 
or will be able to cover through our defenses. And that's the biggest challenge in, in cybersecurity, not just with us, with every cybersecurity company. Every CEO is thinking about, okay, how do we make sure that we don't get hacked today? That's the simple thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the challenge is when you scale company, you obviously have a different process. You have to involve different people. You have to involve different things. And sometimes uh, you have to take a bet on this thing will not fail. So, uh, so that's a challenge. And that's why you see a lot of crypto products failing, like hacked every day. You know, if you look at history uh, about like, okay, they either have an option of testing everything and basically auditing everything for six months and being late to the market or just putting it out there and see what happens. And that's always a challenge. And that's why, you know, again, there's so many hacks. So uh, for us personally, it's just about to make sure that we don't get hacked. And obviously there are other business challenges, but there are general challenges, you know, make sure the business is sustainable, you pay salaries on time, you have enough cash in the bank, you are growing, you're current customers. So we don't have business issues right now. Like absolutely no problem at all. We customers are happy. We work with a very high, uh, good clientage, uh, very healthy business, super profitable. But at the same time, you know, one will day that someone will come and attack us. And I'm sure that people are attacking us every day. It's just a matter of time that state level attacks will come into play, you know, and AI based attacks and where people are basically attacking you 24 by seven. And there is a time where things may get breached. So we are pre- prepared for that. Do you have any tips and tricks for first-time founders that are in the crypto space? Anything that you'd want to share now with hindsight of what it was like to run a I think, company in the space? I think with everything, like, you know, we always take extremes. Extreme is basically taking founders who burn through $200 million or half a billion dollar, a billion dollar money. That's one extreme where people say, oh, they never made it work. Or there'll be examples of Ethereum where they only raised $18 million and make it to a like a multi-hundred million dollar business, right? There's always extreme that people are looking at. Uh, one thing I can tell you is that, first of all, uh, finding a product market fit in crypto is very difficult. And that's the problem with the general market, right? Like, what do, you, what do you need? Like, you always have, whenever there's a bull market, you can convince everyone that how NFT is good. But when the bull market is gone, and now you're in a bear market, people will laugh over, okay, what is the NFT market? Like, you know, there's always challenges where you can debate about why this is the best thing in the world and why this is the worst thing in the world. You know, everyone wants to work for Coinbase when the market, Bitcoin is 60K, but no one wants to work with them when Bitcoin is 20K. So this is this is basically the challenge with the, with the crypto is that how do you allow people to stay throughout the case? Because there's cycles, you know. Bitcoin is like, okay, today... You don't know. Like, it's not the most success industry to work in. People want to work in AI. But I believe that it may shift. Tomorrow, Bitcoin may go about 30x, 20x, and the entire sentiment will change. The thing is, why do you want to work in crypto? That's the number one thing. Is it to make money or is it to build something that really excited about? If you are in to make money, regardless of whatever business you are in, you are in for, for struggle because it's very difficult to make money in business. Like I know everyone, every man makes money business, but you know, we always hear about the successful stories or failures. We don't hear about like, you know, how pins are running out of money every day. To summarize what they need to look at, why I'm in it. If the only goal is to make money, uh, they'll be disappointed. But if the goal is to build the best financial system that is, uh, you know, built on the principles of trusting each other, I think that's a very good cause and you should dedicate your life to. Uh, personally, I've been a victim of both financial industry because my account, PayPal account, were banned for selling bitcoins almost ten years ago. I was selling bitcoins, and my accounts were personally uh, closed. 
as of today, I cannot open a PayPal account, like how stupid it is, which means that I'm not financially included. I'm excluded from a lot of transactions. My eBay account was taken away, which I was running a store, and that was only my source of income. So that's what made me jump into crypto because I wanted to build a system which is independent of anyone seizing my account whenever they want. That was one thing. Now, the reason I'm in, in this industry is because I was personally a victim of SimSap four times. So now when I do it, I just feel I'm happy. You know, that basically makes me happy. Uh, my sisters and my a lot of my family are doctors. So their goal is to search for, uh, you know, they are in, in medical where they save lives. I'm an engineer. I don't have anything exciting to talk about. Like, what do I do in my life? Okay, man, I built uh, some engineering design, but who cares? I built a building. Like, who will care? Uh, something exciting, right? I don't have a chance to work on a new iPhone. I don't have the privileges to do something that people care about. My goal would be to fix towers. So I built a business where I can interact with people and change their real life. So that's what personally I'm passionate about. And even if it doesn't make me money, it just makes me happy. And that's more important to me. And as, as far as, like you mentioned at the start of the call, like for important people, what in your ideal um, kind of client, you know, what is an important person? Why should they be worried about, you know, telecom security and SIM swapping? And like, what are some of those risks um, to these important people that you've seen? It sounds like experience yourself. So so for me, everyone is important, right? You're important. I'm important. Everyone is important. The only thing, but when we talk from company point of view, it just basically depends on someone who is worthy of being hacked and being attacked. So I'll give you an example. If a person is on barely able to make any ends met meet, right? Obviously, they don't need our service, right? That's not. But if someone have an asset, so hypothetically, what's our target? Someone who makes over $100,000, right? Now they can afford our services because like $30, $40 per month and their insurance. A lot of people don't have health insurance because they can't afford the premium. I have it. People have no car. So everyone decides their own stuff. But the way we define it, someone who has actually have a worth of above $100,000, they become qualified for our service because they have something to lose. But if you're like $200 in this checking account, like you're not our customers. And it's not that they're not important. It's just basically, it's not worth it for them to do this level of protection. Super interesting. Um, I, I find it personally interesting, the uh, transition from one hardware company to another um, that you've done. And I'm sure that people listening to will want to hear a little bit more about that startup journey outside of uh, what you've already told us. Um, so we went over some tips and tricks to building your first startup, build something that you're passionate about, um, build something that like you would want to personally have anything, any other tips, tricks, um, that you'd want to give um, to anybody that's listening that might want to build their first startup. I think I, I want to quote a friend of mine, like, you know, Paul D. Joe, who, and he said that people talk about entrepreneurship as being, st- being on the stage and basically talking about and glorified like you know entrepreneurship is glorified you know everyone talk about it's like having a baby right like everyone talk about the outcome but they don't know how much time they have been right so i think that's like about startup too so the challenge is that if you look at a startup is that people may look at a ceo one as being running a successful company so the last company started a new company and now he's he's making wonders right but every day we have to work like you know really crazy hours like you know there's a uh you know, you have to go through a grind and everything. And again, it all comes down to passion. And I say this with the, comparing with the sports. You cannot be a good basketball, any athlete, if you don't actually love the game. Like, it's not like you can just play 
basketball because you want to make money. You would like to play basketball because you enjoy playing it. And if you enjoy playing, you'll start making money off it. So money is a byproduct. It will come up if you get, but you cannot start something only because you need money. And, and again, sports is a very wonderful example. Like you cannot drag me to the gym because I want to be Mr. Mr. US, right? There's no money you can pay me because I don't have any passion for it. I frankly don't, don't know. And uh, similar to like guitar, like I can't be a good music. You can send me to the best school in the, in the world for music, but I'm so horrible with creativity that I'll fail every time you put in. So similar with singing too, like, you know, I have to be passionate to do that. So in my business, I actually enjoy doing it. And actually it's my hobby. Like what I would be doing, I'd probably be doing the same thing if I don't get paid. So uh, find what you love and let it kill you. Lacey, I'm sure you can probably echo some of that. I've heard some of the the war stories, right, of founders. Um, I myself, I'm not a founder. I'm more on the stable side, but maybe one day. But um, I'm always curious when talking to founders, and maybe I'll throw it to, to both uh, you and Lacey. Like, uh, with all the stress, and you mentioned mental health, like, would you ever trade it for just a stable $100,000 a year job, nothing to worry about, no no jail risks, nothing like that? Um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, the way I look at it, first of all, you, you're running the podcast. So founder is not someone who's running a business. Founder is someone who has ever founded something. Something that I've been like, it could be like tweet. You can be a founder of your Twitter account. You can be founder of your Facebook account. Everyone is a founder in some way or form, right? Not everything has to translate into money. Okay, so that's one thing. Uh, I think, uh, absolutely, I'll trade it. Um, I believe that I'm, I, I live a very, I, I don't get into startup hustle. A startup pawn, you call it, like, you know, like hustle pawn, sorry, that you work for, like, I don't work 18 hours a day. I don't work, like, maybe I work, like, seven hours a day, six hours a day. I take Saturday, Sunday off generally, and I have two kids and my wife, and I enjoy time with my family, my sister, my fam, my, my father. You know, a lot of people don't really, but I have my dinner with my, my, my parents every day. Like, you know, I don't think I missed a dinner in maybe six months with my family. So I'm happy over there. You know, I have my friends and everything. Long story short is that I am technically running a stable job, as you say, right? Uh, we don't want to, we don't go into raise money. Like I'm not into series B, series C com- company. We just run a business that I enjoy. And um, uh, what, I, what I go for, like, you know, so I can the benefit that I can accelerate and decelerate as per I need it. But that's a very luxury that a lot of people don't have it. So I have compromised on hustle thing and I'm technically running a nine to five job right now. My only thing is I'm boss of my own company, which is wrong because I have to serve my clients. But absolutely, 100 um, percent, I have to do my life for nine to five now. Well, that's awesome. It's good to hear you. You've been able to build that. I know that is it's hard, right? Like you mentioned with, with stress and mental health to create the boundaries, but Lacey, how are, how are your boundaries? Maybe tell me a little bit about what that looks like. I've, I have some pretty strong boundaries. Uh, so I'm just going to echo uh, exactly what was just said. I really only work seven to eight hours a day. Um, I try to keep it compact, but I feel more productive if I work seven to eight hours a day than I think if I work 16 hours a day and Saturday and Sunday. Um, my performance is much better if I'm confined to just those hours. And I create those boundaries so that in the evenings I could do what I want to do, which is hanging out with friends, eating dinner, you know, uh, doing stuff on the weekends, like a normal person. 
So, um, and if you are dictated, if your life, if your work dictates your life, you're not going to perform at work. And it's very clear. And you see that as an entrepreneur, you will get to a point where you're like, nothing's working, you know, company morale is down. Um, you know, there's all of these uh, side effects that happen when the founder uh, is exhausted from working 24 seven. So I, I echo that boundaries are, are super important to me. Good. How about Good you? My, uh, I was going to say, I'm not, I, again, having a, a few different things at, at the same time has always been my challenge. I think like I work the nine to five, I try to cut the boundaries, you know, again, work too much, but sometimes that bleeds over the lines. Um, podcast, um, you know, not a, a ton of hours, but definitely time with the word. Um, I'm on the board of my HOA, which is a nightmare. I don't recommend anybody doing that, but that sucks a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, again, it's like, it's all about just being aware, I think. And, and I'm better at that sometimes, um, than others. So I think, again, good point. Um, like you mentioned both, um, just being aware of that, I think is is the biggest part. You know, it's interesting. It's fun. It's, it's fun. It's like, that's, 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 I think what makes it hard to draw the lines. Like the podcast is fun um linkedin for me is kind of my instagram like you know it's it's what somebody told me is the you know best following you have that doesn't really matter except at work so i love connecting with people i probably connect with too many people and try to engage and try to you know just give them advice or try to get them jobs which is fulfilling but again sometimes draining right like it's sometimes at 10 o'clock at night when i shouldn't be thinking about work and recruiting i'm thinking about work and recruiting so I think that it keeps me going and, you know, it's, again, it's, it's something I'm passionate about, but there are times where I just need to go, this is for tomorrow or this is for Monday, you know, versus letting it bleed. Yeah. With um, uh, some of the job seekers in our community, there was one job, job seeker that was recently telling me about, you know, the struggle of finding a job and how consuming it is. And uh, especially if you feel like you're applying to jobs day and night um, how draining that can be. And so any opinions on how to create boundaries as a job seeker, like how many hours a week should you be applying to a job? I think I've never tried it lately, but I don't know if AI can help you applying for a job, right? Right. I don't know, like somehow someone can train an AI to apply for all the jobs all day long. You know, so. you can. You've seen people write scripts for it, so uh, yeah, yeah. So you can audit. Yeah, yeah. Like you just apply for jobs, and I think um, um, what I've seen is like, frankly, um, it's not like you know, like I I used to apply for a lot of jobs too when I was in school, but I think now um, there are tricks around it, right? Like you know, if you want a real job, like you know, what what do you want to be inspired for career? And again, not everyone has the same luxury that I had, so I had a luxury to choose whatever I want to do, right? And so you can actually pick up the, like, you want to work at Bombardier, right? Or, you know, and you want to be senior engineer there for who is working on the avionics department. You can find out who the people are and reach out to them and tell them, this is my goals, right? What did you do? And basically build a network around it. I believe that you can do a really good job in building content around it and actually find yourself a job. Like, you know, social media, as Alex mentioned, has changed the world. If I was working, I wanted to work in, um, you know, I want to build a best jewelry. I'll start a podcast on best jewelry and TikTok channel and invite all the jewelers to my podcast. 
And so the person who actually I want to be in his place, I'm talking to him and I'm asking him the same question that he will never share to me. How do you get this job? How do you do that? And then they will share about me and all the content. So I think within 30 to 60 days, you can actually build yourself a resume that can land you in any job you want. And that's like, you know, the best way you can actually uh, like write AI to content around it, write a blog post about it, make a YouTube video. And third is you can prepare for any job. You don't need to even apply for a job. Say, tag the CEO of the company and let him hire you. Spoken like a true entrepreneur. Like that that piece of advice. (laughs) I love it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's the second time um, we had Chris, um, who's a a past founder, a couple of exits, that said the same thing as well. He said, forget your resume. Build content, download TikTok, um, similar to like you said, build a following, build a community and like make the job that you want. Um, And I think that's great advice, right? It's like you said, it's if you can get in the door and have those conversations, it organically turns into a job versus just applying. Like applying is is old school. It's like web one, web two, Um, web three in startup world operates much differently. It's like thinking about sending a letter and resuming mail. That's how it is, right, today. You know, like, you would not send your resume in a mail, right? Like, you know, think about you're applying for an IT job and you're replying in a mail. You know, just stand out. You frankly, it's so easy to stand out. Yeah. My favorite so far that I haven't seen anybody do, if if you have seen this, please comment it below. Or if you yourself have, uh, we might want to talk to you. But it's the YouTube videos or TikToks where it's like, I will say this person's name a thousand times, 10,000 times, a million times in a row, like Logan Paul and some of these influencers to try to get their attention. And it kind of works. I mean, after a certain amount and following, it's like, I don't know, maybe say the hiring manager's name a thousand times on a TikTok. (laughs) Not not application, not recruiting advice, just I kind of want to see that. But um, yeah, like you said, there's there's some funny ways to differentiate yourself in the market. You're going to get tagged up. everyone Everyone is human, right? Like, you know, uh, you know, we are all humans and frankly, like, you know, I have, I have done code outreach to multiple people and it works, you know, it actually works. It's actually actually persistent. So where can more people, where can people find out more about your company? Pretty simple. Secure mobile service. Type in Google will be the number. Nice. We'll uh, drop the links below in the description. Uh, But thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Hopefully you got some good advice from this episode. Uh, Make sure to leave comments below um, and we will respond to them. And again, thank you so much for tuning in and uh, thank you for being on the show.